going to be mid-30s. I want snow, not rain. That's just my preference. Uh, Cold rain, I think, is the worst. Anybody agree with me? Or anybody just love cold rain? Yes. Uh, Right? Uh, I do not enjoy cold rain at all, but I'm good to, I am very excited to see you, and it's good to be here this morning. I'm looking forward to our time together. This is week three of our Epiphany Tide teaching series that we have been in called At Home where we are exploring what it means to abide or to more specifically live at home with God in the modern world. Now, in youth group growing up, we just refer to this as our relationship with God. That was the language that we used growing up, our relationship with God, intimacy with God, living with Him, spending time with him. And the first week of this teaching series, we looked at the invitation of Jesus to be with him, recognizing that our discipleship begins first and foremost by being with Jesus. This is the original call. And last week, we looked more in depth at Jesus as the true vine or the true source of life. He's making this absolute claim that there is no other source of life, that he is the origin, the genesis of life itself. Because of this, it's important for us to recognize that Jesus isn't added to our life. He is not interested in being just a mere supplement to our life, to make your life better. He's not vitamin C. He's not just some pill you take in the morning to make your life better. Rather, he wants to be the very source of your life, to be your life, where you find meaning and where you find hope and where you find a sense of flourishing. We also looked at the role of God as a gardener in our life, given that we are spending time looking at John 15 and this particular metaphor. And the unique activity of the gardener is that he prunes or he cuts back and removes excessive distractions in our life. Things that divert our attention and divert nutrients in order to provide wholeness, peace, flourishing, and rest, so on and so forth. He cleanses us, and he purges us, and repositions us even. We looked at the idea of redirection and connection to our discipleship with Jesus. Uh, The theological word for this is repentance. Repentance is quite literally redirection. And this is key when it comes to the role of God as gardener. Much of our formation, actually, is a removal of distractions. It's not just adding things to our life, but it's actually a removal of unnecessary distractions for good or for ill. And if I'm honest, in our life, yes, there there is sin that we need to work through, but a lot of us also have unnecessary weight that needs to be removed. I've been thinking a lot about the difference between sin and weight And there are various things in our life that produce weight 
that need to be removed in order for us to experience flourishing. Or better yet, it's the notion of putting good things in their proper place. Putting good things where they are meant to be. So God, as gardener, often removes distractions in our life. Now, to give a brief testimony of someone in our community, and I got her permission. I just want you guys to know. Emma McKinney, who is back in kids right now, faithfully serving God and his church, is uh, currently reading the book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, right now. And she told me last week that she got rid of her internet she got rid of her social media and virtually every app she said on her phone that she could, but to where she still could function with work and, and family and so, so forth. And I was like, wow, that's some serious removal. Serious removal. So I was deeply impressed by that. And I'm not saying go out there and copy Emma. I'm just saying it was very encouraging to see someone who was like, you know what? I've got some unnecessary distractions in my life that need to be removed, at least for a season, to reorient myself. Because I'm caught up. I'm distracted by sometimes really good things, but I'm just constantly indulging in things that uh, are sucking nutrients in my life. So those are the first couple of weeks. If you missed the teaching, you can go back and listen. But today, I want us to talk about fruit bearing and the nature of fruit bearing in conjunction to this metaphor in John 15, and in particular to living or abiding with God. Living or abiding with God. Now, the word fruit appears in this metaphor in John 15, which we looked at last week, is the very last night that Jesus spends with his disciples before going to the cross. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's also called the Farewell Discourse of Jesus, which means these are important words. There's a lot of weight with these words, things that matter. They have a level of importance. And the word fruit appears in this metaphor seven times, seven times in just a few verses. The word abiding, or your translation might say remaining, appears roughly nine times in this metaphor. So we see fruit and abiding a lot in John 15, these few verses that we are looking at. So this means that just as there is a symbiotic relationship between God, humans, and abiding, so there is also a symbiotic relationship between abiding and fruit-bearing. There is a synergy between abiding, living at home with God, and fruit-bearing. They go hand in hand. And we mentioned last week that pruning or cutting back is a natural byproduct of abiding. It's a natural byproduct. Pruning is a part of abiding. But fruit-bearing or fruit production is a byproduct of pruning by default. Fruit-bearing is a natural process of pruning. And here is the chain of action that I want us to have an awareness of based on this metaphor and just looking at vineyards in general. I, I think it will help us reorient our understanding of abiding and where it fits in this chain of events or actions in our life. Abiding comes before pruning. 
That is the original call, to be with. Pruning then follows abiding, and then fruit bearing comes. It takes up to three years for a grapevine to produce any mature fruit at all. As I mentioned last week, the first couple of years are just pruning. But a lot of us in the modern era, in society, and in the church in particular, primarily view fruit bearing and then abiding as the process. We produce, and, and, and we begin to, when we begin to produce, then we enter into his throne room with confidence. We begin to show uh, this sense of managing our ability or our behavior, uh, managing our morality, and then we're like, okay, now I can abide. And then pruning follows. But honestly, a lot of us get so exhausted by the first step that we don't even make it to abiding, let alone the pruning process. But... The actual order of things is we first abide, we are with Jesus, then he begins to prune us, the Father as gardener begins to prune us through the Spirit, and by that pruning we begin to produce fruit. This is the process laid out in John 15, let alone when we look at vineyards and the production of grapes. Abiding This is so key. Abiding, remaining, resting, being with comes first in our apprenticeship and our discipleship to Jesus. In fact, given this text, you and I can't even produce fruit as a branch if you aren't or we aren't living in the vine. You can't. It is impossible. Let's look at this text again, just verses 4 and 5 in John 15. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Here's this sense of just, we are all together, Jesus and us, we're in Jesus. It's just the wholeness of both parties coming to this central place of togetherness or wholeness or at oneness. Anytime you hear some nerdy like person who's into theology talk about atonement, It's the notion of at one or oneness or togetherness. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Notice these absolute statements of Jesus. Cannot. Impossible. Unless. He goes on to say, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will, will, by default, produce much fruit. For apart from me, or some translations say without me, you can do what? Nothing. Now, is that true? Can you do absolutely nothing apart from the vine, apart from Jesus? You can do something, but it will not reflect the vine of which you are attached to if it's in fact Jesus. It will be some other vine. Apart from him, you can do nothing that reflects him at all. Absolute statements 
by Jesus. Cannot, unless, will. But it all begins with abiding. Our fruit bearing, hear this out, our fruit bearing and our production as people and followers of Jesus is 100% conditional on the basis of choosing to abide. 100% conditional. Because he says, you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me, unless you remain in me. There is a conditional component to that statement. So we cannot produce fruit unless we choose to abide. Now, fruit bearing, though, isn't actually our responsibility. Fruit bearing and fruit production as a follower of Jesus is not even your responsibility. It is the responsibility of the vine. It's responsibility of the gardener cultivating and creating an environment for fruit to be bore. But this does not mean that we are passive. But rather, our participation in the process is choosing to abide. You know, I I hear sometimes people say things, it's not about doing, it's about being. Being is an active posture. It is doing. There is effort involved. There is participation involved. But our participation isn't fruit production. It's abiding. It's remaining. It's living with. It's hanging out. It's being present to Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit in us. Who, by the way, Jesus said is actually better for us than if he was here in the flesh. Because that fool's schedule would be so packed. You'd get no time. Like, you'd get hardly any time if he was in the flesh. So he's like, I got to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is calling each and every one of you, poking at the embers of your heart to comfort, to teach, to care, to correct, to love, and to recenter us as followers of Jesus. We often seem to assume that we are working for God. We are working and laboring for Jesus. While this is partially the case, partially true, Eventually, we will see in this text in John 15 that Jesus actually, this night, the night before his crucifixion, redefines the relationship with his disciples. He moves them from servants to friends. From servants to friends. The Greek word for friend here can mean like a best man in a wedding a companion, someone who you are tight with. Now, Jesus isn't a buddy. Jesus is a companion, a partner, someone that you are locking arms with. And he redefines their relationship three years later and says, you're no longer servants, but now I call you friends. Why is this important? Because servants don't always love their master. But if you love a person, you will serve the person. He redefines the relationship. Some of us today, the word that you need to hear is that Jesus actually wants to be your companion. Jesus wants to partner with you and you to partner with him. He says, come and see. 
but he is inviting you to be a friend, to be a companion, to be a partner. Yes, he is king. Yes, he's Lord. Yes, he's redeemer. He is savior. He is master teacher. But he says, I want to be so close to you that I can call you friend. He redefines a relationship because if you love, you will always serve. If you love your friend, you will care for your friend. If you love your spouse, you will serve your spouse. So our life is not an offering of obedience back to God. You're like, is that true? Is that theologically sound? I don't know about your hermeneutic. Our life is not an offering of obedience back to God, but rather God producing obedience in us on account of our choosing to abide in him, to be with him, choosing to remain, choosing to trust, choosing to love him. Watchman Nee, who was a uh, pastor, leader, missionary, kind of a lay theologian in the underground church in China back in the 50s and 60s. He says this, he says, you do not bear fruit for him. He bears fruit through you. Some of you need to hear that. You do not bear fruit for him. He bears fruit through you. You and I are mere conduits of the goodness of God. We are conduits of his gift, his grace. He bears fruit through us. And the production of fruit is solely dependent on the connection to the vine. Solely. Why is this? Because, again, the source of fruit is the vine itself. The source of fruit is the vine. The source of obedience and fruitful production in our life is Jesus. We are not the source of our own fruit. Jesus is. We are not, you know, independent of the vine. We are dependent on the vine. Fruit cannot be produced separate from the vine. It is impossible. We see that in this passage. In the case of a vine and branches, the branches don't grow on their own and then decide one day to attach to the vine. The branch's mere existence is reliant upon the life of the vine. Our existence as followers of Jesus is solely dependent upon the life that Jesus offers us. These branches grow out of the vine. It's this key imagery for us. They grow out of the vine. They are produced by the vine. But for the vine to produce anything at all, it must be securely attached or connected to a healthy, rich source that gives the nutrients necessary to grow and to produce fruit. So this is key for us today. The abiding life living with God, our relationship with God, discipleship to Jesus, apprenticeship to Jesus, being a student of Jesus is primarily about living from rather than living for. You can talk back. It's okay. You can, you can talk back. Unless it just wasn't good. That is, that's totally okay. But I think that's good. Like, I'll be honest. That's good. 
that struck me in my time reading this passage. I'm like, actually, my discipleship to Jesus, my intimacy with him is actually about living from that place rather than for that place or from that person rather than for that person. Paradigm shift for me and my understanding of my intimacy with Jesus and my discipleship to him as master and teacher and intimacy and connection to him as friend. We live from rather than for. The branches don't reach out to the vine. The branches don't reach out to the vine. Branches come from the vine, out of the vine. So when we abide, our life comes from and out of that connection. The origin of the branch is the vine. The power source and nutrients only flow one way. We're not throwing power back to God. We're not throwing grace back to God. We're not throwing goodness back to God. We're not throwing mercy back to Jesus. You need a little compassion. You need a little justice. You need a little love. You need a little little patience, Jesus. No, no, he's throwing that through us. It flows one way. You ever ever turn down a one-way street on accident? Uh Uh-huh. Go to Friendly Avenue, downtown Greensboro, and just watch some people drive. Turning down Friendly when it's one way doesn't usually end well. Now listen, in your walk with Jesus, you can try to do that, but it's going to exhaust you. You're going to be bobbing and weaving trying to avoid hitting another vehicle, another person. And eventually it's going to end in a lot of horns and probably an accident. Why? Because you're going against the flow. You're going against the grain. And I've heard it said before that whenever you go against the grain, you always get splinters. We live from the vine. The power source nutrients only flow one Way. The center of the human person, the human self, when the Spirit indwells us, when we become regenerated, we become believers, when the Spirit comes in us and we abide in Him and He in us, there is a divine change of position at the center of our being. The very center of our person when we abide, is no longer ourself. We are taught to believe that at the center of the self is the self. This is not theologically true if we believe we are made in the image of God. Not true at all. When the Spirit comes in us, the Spirit becomes the center and the agent of animating us in how we live There is a change of address, you might say. Our home address changes when the Spirit comes in us. The Spirit is now the homeowner. The Spirit lives in the center. It is not us as individuals. And here is where we distinguish between the the psychology of self-actualization and Christian spiritual formation. Rebecca Letterman says, independent self-actualization is incompatible with the Christian faith and formation tradition. Our spiritual formation is a gift from our divine source to humanity. The center of your person is actually the Holy Spirit. It begins with you at the center 
But when the spirit comes in, the spirit is now center and animating us. Why? Because it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Our origin is the divine trinity. We live from the vine. Fleming Rutledge has this to say, there is a fashion today for exhorting us to quote unquote live into various things. Live into our baptism, live into our calling, live into our mission. I think that's a very 21st century humanist do-it-yourself way of speaking. We don't live into the vine who is the life of the church and of each Christian. The vine lives into us. We live from the vine, from the word of God, from the body and blood of Christ, from the tireless work of the spirit new every morning. Paradigm shift for me this past week. Now this makes sense when you think about Jesus as the river of life. All the charismatics love that metaphor. If you see a church that's got river in it, man, they have some loud services. You know what I'm saying? There's some energy. But you've never seen a Presbyterian church with a river in the name. Not one. Not a one. Jesus is referred to as the river of life. And this makes sense if we think about it because the river flows in one direction. One of the things we love to do with our house church and have the last couple of years is we um, go up to the Dan River at Hanging Rock and we go tubing down the Dan River. If you haven't been tubing down the Dan River, you're missing out on some glory. It is the most formative, holy, transforming experience of your entire life. You know? But when you get in that little tube, it's taking you where it wants to go. The river of life, Jesus himself flows in one direction. This is so important because I think many of us, if we are honest, we are trying to swim upstream and we're doing it in order to please Jesus. But the flow is only in one direction. Once you get in, it takes you where it wants to go. Now, the spirit is also connected to the idea of wind. And wind takes objects where it wants to. Wind takes things wherever it wants to. We live from that movement in us. This is our very posture. So fruit comes from the vine, not for the vine. We don't offer fruit to the vine. That makes no logical sense, and it doesn't connect to the passage at all. Fruit comes from the vine, not for it. So let me clarify for all of us in the room this morning. Jesus doesn't need your fruit. The world needs your fruit. Jesus doesn't need your works. The world needs your works. Jesus wants yourself. Jesus wants all of the dimensions of your human person. Your heart or your will or the spirit, the invisible part of you. Your mind, meaning your thought life and your emotions. Your physical body, 
and your soul, that which integrates all of these other dimensions. He also wants your social sphere as well. He wants all of you. He doesn't need your fruit. He wants you. He wants you. Here's what the great C.S. Lewis has to say, a lot smarter than all of us. He says in mere Christianity, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. He goes on to say, hand it over to me. The whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. He wants all of you. He doesn't need your fruit. He wants your mind. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your body. He wants all of you, every bit of your person. So when we abide with our whole selves, when we live from this true source of life, we will then by default produce fruit. By default. Now the Greek word for fruit here in the passage is karpos. And it literally means that which originates or comes from something. The very idea of fruit means it comes from something as an effect or a result of. Now, Pastor Tony Evans has three characteristics of fruit that I think are very helpful when we look at this passage of Scripture in John 15. I think it's spot on. Here's the first characteristic of fruit. Because if we're honest, we look at this metaphor, and we're like, it's kind of mystical. I get it, but I also don't know how it impacts me in everyday life practically. I'm going to live here. I'm going to go to lunch. I got work tomorrow. And I, you know, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to figure it out. But I don't really know what this looks like, Right? And again, my hope on Sunday morning is that you're not just getting information, but you're experiencing transformation in the presence of God and are able to apply things taught so that we can look more like Jesus. I don't want you to have information overload and not begin to change. I want us to change and begin to bear fruit. So I think these three characteristics are helpful for us to clarify what fruit is and means. Here's the first one. Fruit always bears the character or the quality of the tree of which it is a part. Always. In other words, you won't find apples on a pear tree. The character, the very character quality of the tree determines the nature of the fruit. Look at verse 8 here in John 15. When you produce much fruit, keep in mind there's a there's a, there's a progression of fruit. It goes from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. There's an increase in fruit. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Or some translations say, you show yourself to be my disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Now, the idea of showing yourself to be or proving yourself is the idea of becoming. Of becoming. So when you produce much fruit, you are becoming disciples of Jesus. 
revealing that you are, in fact, truly following him. And we live in a moment, we talked about this, where it seems as though you can choose to be a Christian and not a follower of Jesus. That's incompatible with the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. You're either a disciple of Jesus, a student, an apprentice, or you're not. It is not about mere belief or intellectual assent about ideas, but a submission to our heart, mind, body, soul, in trust and obedience to the master because we love him. We believe in him. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Our fruit, our character, our behavior, our inclinations, our motivations reveal the tree of which we are attached to. And all of us are attached to some sort of tree. It's not just followers of Jesus. It's all of us. But Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit in order to reflect him and his nature and character. The second characteristic of fruit is that fruit is always visible. None of us have ever seen invisible fruit. Never. Never. Fruit is meant to be visible. Continuing on in Matthew 7, this is verse 20, Jesus says, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Hard teaching of Jesus. And we don't like that. If we're honest, if you came up to me and you said, hey, Spence, like, you're kind of being a jerk lately, man. You're not very patient, not very loving, not very kind. You're very hurried and rushed. I'm like, who are you? Back up. Right? I want to hear that. If I come to you and I'm like, hey, you got some, 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 some behaviors that actually don't reflect the tree than which you proclaim to be connected to. He's saying we can identify people by their fruit, by their actions, by their behavior. And here's the deal. You and I can't mistake foliage for fruit. Foliage actually increases the possibility that there is little fruit. Foliage is fluff. It is the outer surface. I say the right things in certain crowds. I do the things, I show up, I post the right things. But in your inner being, fruit is not being produced. It's fluff. It's dishonest. It's inauthentic. We can't mistake foliage for fruit. Here's the third characteristic. Fruit always exists for the benefit of someone else. Fruit ain't for you, bro. The fruit that Jesus is producing in your life is actually not for you. What's for you is the life and nutrients he provides. The fruit is for someone else. For someone else. Fruit doesn't eat itself. Because if it does, it becomes rotten. Fruit that eats itself is rotten. Tony Evans says this, and I thought this was good. He says, you know you are bearing fruit when other people want to take a bite out of your life. Whew! Come on. When I heard him say that on a sermon, that crap place was, oh, yes, come on, that's good. We're in here like this. 
do people see fruit in your life? Honestly, because we want fruit. We like fruit. We love it. My little girl, she's one years old. Mandarin oranges, crushes them. Blueberries, crushes them. Right? Give her some meat, don't want it. Give her some veggies, don't want it. I want that fruit. Do people see fruit in your life, to be honest? Are they like, yo, I got to have what you have. I want it. Fruit always exists for the benefit of someone else. To be considered fruit, it also requires a seed, right? This is why there's that great debate. Is a tomato a vegetable or a fruit? It's a fruit. Why? It's got seeds. What does this mean? Fruit is meant to multiply. Fruit is meant to produce more fruit. There's actually a lot of debate. I didn't know this. This is fascinating. A lot of debate around seedless grapes being natural or not. Most people say that seedless grapes are unnatural. I think that's fascinating. Apparently John does too. Fruit is meant to multiply itself. You plant one apple seed, it's going to produce an orchard eventually, over time. You and I are meant to multiply ourselves, training someone, discipling someone, raising someone up, inviting someone so close to you, they see how you live, they can taste the fruit. Some of us don't have people close enough to even grab the fruit, okay? We have to multiply ourselves. Fruit exists for the benefit of someone else. Now, Paul's language for remaining or abiding later in the New Testament is walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5. When Paul's talking about abiding, his language is walking in the Spirit. I got a friend who refers to this as creeping in the Spirit, which is actually kind of creepy. The language is, but I don't know why he says it. It just sounds kind of cool. Um, Creeping in the Spirit. I'm like, what does that even mean, man? You know, but Paul's talking about walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Like when you wake up in the morning, you're like, Holy Spirit, I'm just following you today. Take me where you are. I'm just here. My job is to abide. I'm abiding. I'm living with you. I'm, I'm giving my attention to you. I'm being present to you. I want to walk with you. This is Paul's language. And he, as most of us know, identifies nine qualities of a person who is abiding. Nine characteristics or attitudes of Jesus that are meant to be produced in us and through us for the sake of others. And those are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and one that we really do not like at all in 2023 in the modern Western era, self-control or temperance. But we get that. But sometimes we need to know what the bad fruit is in order to understand the good fruit. So what is the bad fruit of the flesh? Because as I said a second ago, we're all attached to some vine. All of us are producing some sort of fruit. The question is, is it Jesus' fruit or is it the fruit of the world? Or as Paul says, the fruit of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 lays out the fruit of the flesh. Here they are. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your flesh, the results are very clear. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful or consuming pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, 
quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life or lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the fruit of the flesh. If we self-examine our life, do we see any of these things present? Here's the practical stuff. Because if you do, it's fruit of the flesh, not fruit of the spirit. Now, as we abide, as we remain, as we spend time with Jesus, there is a progression to becoming like Jesus. We go from being with Jesus to becoming like Jesus. We are being transformed into an ever-increasing glory to look more and more like Jesus in his true image. He is the image of the invisible God. And over time, our character, our inner being, our motivation, our behavior begins to look more and more like in quality the person of Jesus. And by the way, friends, because of grace and because of the Spirit, it is actually possible for us to look like Jesus. I truly believe some of us think that it's not possible for us to look like Jesus. And I'm like, you must not trust Jesus. You must not read the New Testament. Because the notion is that we become like our rabbi that we look like our rabbi. Not just in outer behavior, but in inner motivation. We begin to show ourselves to be his disciples. So that when people see us, they're like, yo, you're a Jesus disciple. You're a student of the master. I can tell by your fruit. I can identify your character. But we don't become like Jesus by just spending time with Jesus but also by spending time with Jesus' people. Because the company that you and I choose to attach ourselves to informs and shapes our identity and character. When you and I as people say that these are my people or this is my community that I've attached myself to, That community then has psychological influence on who you become. You are giving them access to shape your identity and character. This is why when you are 13 years old, your parents feel like they lost their kid because over the course of a year, you change drastically. Why do you change so much? Because you probably started hanging out with a certain group of people. Could be small changes, it could be large changes. But it is at that time frame where you actually begin to find your people. There's a ton of neuroscience and psychology around this. You begin to find your community that you would suffer for or with. You attach yourself. And when you attach yourself to certain people or to a community, you become like that community because they have been let into a place in your brain that shapes your identity and character your values, your interests, what you love, your beliefs, your understanding about the world. One summer you had certain interests, hobbies, and habits, and the next summer it was completely opposite, usually because of someone else. You and I, this is key, whether you know this or not, you and I 
become and bear the fruit of our community, of your community. We bear the fruit of the community that we attach ourselves to. We become our community. Notice in this passage that it is primarily branches that is used. The plural form of the word. A single branch is a part of a community of branches. So we not only bear the character of the vine, but we also bear the character of our community. The people that you associate with, you let in, that you attach to, you become like. If you attach yourself to this community, Adamaeus, by default, you will begin to take on the character, the ethos, and the values, and the behaviors, more than likely, of this community. In sociology, this is called mimetic theory that we as human beings are creatures of imitation, that we imitate those that we attach to, or some refer to this as a herd instinct, that we tend to follow the group. Another phrase is mental mirroring. We mirror other people. It's fascinating. Even physically, you sit down with someone, we begin to actually mirror their body posture. It's called limbic synchronicity. Fascinating. We mirror other people subconsciously in our mind. So you want to abide, you want to live with Jesus, and you're just not sure how. Here's what I would tell you to do. I would say, start by getting around someone who is abiding and you can tell. You want to abide with Jesus. Get around people who you see fruit of their abiding and attach yourself to them. Spend time with them. Because by default, if you do, over time, you will change. You will change. I read this interesting article this past week, not Christian, but this is fascinating. It was titled, Social Proximity Effect. Your friends' habits will become your habits. I'm like, Jesus talked about this way before this article. Jesus is like, you spend time with your rabbi, you become like your rabbi. Why does he say, come be with me? Because when we are with him, we become like him by default. You don't become like him and then spend time with him. He's like, no, you change by being with. You're wired this way. He's like, I wired you this way. In this little article, the gist was, you'll mirror the habits of the people you spend the most time with. To build good habits, spend more time with people who already practice them. You're like, man, I struggle with being generous. Get around some generous people. You're like, I really struggle with being a patient person. Get around someone who's patient. Or I struggle with being honestly very self-centered. I'm just, I'm a very self-centered person, which is honestly, that's why I married my wife, because I'm self-centered. She's not, and I'm in process. I'm trying, I'm trying, and she is working to change me. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Get around people who are more mature than you in that particular area. He goes on to say, the most important tool at our disposal for living better is other people. Fascinating. The people we surround ourselves with are the biggest influence on our behavior, attitudes, and results. Who you are around, what they've got you thinking, saying, doing, and becoming sets the course of your life. 
I saw this. According to research by a social psychologist, Dr. David McClellan of Harvard, the people that you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. This is secular studies. But Jesus is hinting at this, I think, in this passage with a group of disciples, with him. Neuroscience itself reveals this. The very right side of your brain, the part of your brain that attaches relationally, is called the fast-track side of the brain. And in that side of the brain, it is asking two questions constantly. Who am I and what am I to do? It's asking those questions seven times per second, faster than we can consciously think of an answer. So what does it do? It goes off of mirror neurons or models or patterns that we have seen visually because we can't even think logically about it in words. We've seen patterns before. And it goes off of these mirror neurons based on the people and models that we have seen and attached ourselves to. Check this out from this clinical psychologist, uh, Jim Wilder. I think this is really interesting. He's a believer and uh, does a lot of work in what he calls neurotheology. Fascinating. He says, the fast track only allows my people access to the character settings. Identity is a rather protected brain function. We do not easily allow any other mind to change who we are. Access to establish or change identity is limited to those who are attached with us. Thus, our significant attachments or the people that we love shape our character. Attachment love is the key to access our character. Attachment, or another word we've used is abiding, is the foundation for developing character. Some of us think developing character is hearing good sermons. Or just reading good books. Or just reading the Bible. We're not even wired that way. That's partially true. But if you're not around other people and attaching yourself to community, to the people of Jesus, the people of God, you're not going to become like Jesus. It is humanly impossible. This is why he calls 12 and not, he doesn't do one-on-one sessions. He's never just one-on-one with a disciple. You ever notice that? The smallest he goes is three. He attaches himself and there's character change. Wilder goes on to say, for character development, the brain needs joyful and loving attachments We'll talk about that next week. Both with a greater mind, in this case, Jesus, and with a people, in this case, other disciples. Now time to kind of wrap this up and land the plane. This seems to be, in John 15, why Jesus gives the command later to love one another as I have loved you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I have modeled for you what love looks like. And because that I have modeled love and you've attached yourself to me, you've attached yourself to one another, by doing so, you're providing a strong foundation for fruit bearing. I've modeled this. You've seen this. So it's going to come up in your subconscious because we've spent so much time together. And now you're attaching yourself to me and to one another. He's like, I'm leaving, but this is the community that I've established. I'm the model. I'm the greater mind. Now go and bear much fruit. And guess what happens? The Jesus movement is launched. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled or do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. If bad company corrupts good character, then good company produces good character. Your company produces your character. 
your family will reveal your fruit. You are way more like your family of origin than you know. It is in your genes and DNA. Spouses can shake their heads like, yes, you just like your mama, right? You just like your daddy. It's true. It just is in our DNA. This means that abiding for us, friends, abiding or remaining and producing fruit is not only a private, personal endeavor, but a communal one as well. Just spending time with Jesus actually won't make you like Jesus. I'm throwing out some, some, some touchy statements today I want you to wrestle with. Just you spending private time with Jesus won't make you like Jesus. You have to be around Jesus' people. Grapes produce grapes, and saints produce saints. Come on. Thank you. That was, uh, that's the overalls, okay? <laughs> but this is also, as we close and come to the table, this is one of the reasons why I think Jesus doesn't leave us a book. The book comes later. The letters come later. But he leaves us a meal in the community. Because eating together produces stronger attachment to one another. And Jesus anchors that attachment. We center the meal on him. This is one of the reasons why we do things like the chili cook-off. We eat together, go to lunch. It produces stronger bonding attachments. And through it, a multitude of fruit is produced. So here are my questions for you. I'm going to get the folks who are administering communion to come on up. What fruit do you see in your life? What fruit do you not see in your life? Who do you spend the most time with? And who are the people that you most admire? And are those two groups of people the same? Who do you spend the most time with? Who are the people that you most admire? And are those two groups of people the same? But I want us to have some time to examine ourselves, ask, do I produce the fruit of Jesus? Or are there aspects when it comes to the fruit of the flesh that I still see in my life? Envy, jealousy, quarreling, gossip, dissension, impurity, sexual immorality, drunkenness. Because I want us to be a people that bear the fruit of Jesus. And it is at this table that we anchor ourselves and in essence, we reattach every week to Jesus as a community. In this passage, the majority of the time you see the word you, it's in the plural form, plural. So in that, we all come to the table. And by this table and remembering, we attach ourselves to Jesus by submitting ourselves to him wholly, we produce fruit that looks more and more like him and his character. But the first call is to abide and to live from this table. You will walk away from this table today into this new week. And may that launch you into the reality that the center of your being 
is actually the divine mystery of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you close your eyes? Thank you.